Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What are some of the quirks or some of the cultural norms, patterns, fun things that you would pick up on if you were a fly on the wall? Probably the use of our dog channel. So... Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans, who is surrounded by canines. Of course, the second I start recording, yeah. just like... Just let them be on the show. Freak out. Freak they out. belong. Okay. They're part of it. Oh Hi, everyone. <laughs> In just a bit, our duo is going to turn into a trio because we've got an interview with Kelsey Stevenson that we are gonna share with you today. Kelsey is the Chief Product Officer at Bitly, which is a product that we know and love at The Ready. And as part of our partnership with Slack, we wanted to chat with someone out there whose company has been playing with Slack as its digital HQ in some fun and interesting ways. And so Kelsey's gonna join in and give us a lowdown on that. But before we do that. That's also where we are gonna do our check-in. Don't worry, the check-in isn't going away. Good. That's okay. Because I was freaking out. Well, I know, but we're doing something new and we've never done it before. So, you know, we just have to like ride the waves a little bit. We're going to check in with Kelsey because we want her to have a turn. So we're just going to talk about some other things because our conversation with Kelsey like sparked some memories, some reflections, some questions, some reminiscing that we wanted to do about our own history at the ready and tool adoption. Yes. It is fun to reminisce because is. this this is like this episode format of having a little chat and then having a guest is how the show started. That's right. Oh man. That was such a mess. I know. I we know. really tr- I feel like we really fell in love with that idea and we were like this is going to be awesome. We're going to make then it work. It was like really hard to pull off. <laughs> and it was We didn't so have confusing. a team. We we didn't have a team and yeah, oh, the days of like the A plus B blocks. Well, we're doing it. We're doing it again, but for different reasons today. Yeah, and better. And different and better. So let's start with talking about the Ready's very beginnings. Yeah. You know, the company has always been remote, but early days there was also an office that people yeah. came into. What would you say that arrangement was like? What do you notice when you reflect on that? What would you have done differently if you had to do it again? I wasn't there, so I don't remember. I was like (laughs) at clients all the time. I wasn't paying attention. So yeah, I don't know. When you look back on those days, what do you think about in terms of remote culture building? Yeah, well, it was a very different time in terms of expectations. There was not any whisper of the default to remote that we have today post-pandemic. And it was sort of assumed that there would be a place to go and not having a place to go felt like it was a, a mark against you in terms of being legitimate. Mm. Like I'm trying to hire people. I'm just some guy and I'm, you know, I, we are based nowhere. Like that doesn't yeah. feel 
It doesn't feel like job security. Yeah. And so I I also felt at the time, because I was living in New York, that um, having a gathering place or a place to bring clients was still important because they were also still in that playbook of like, you come to our office, we come to your office. This is a dance that we do. And it's, it's almost like when you're dating someone and your house sucks and so you like always go to their house and then Mm -hmm. they keep asking if they can come to your place and you're like, ah, maybe another it's laundry day, but really you just don't ever want them to see it. Uh I kind of felt like that when we first got started because we were working out of the Panera at Bryant Park and, and (laughs) I was like, clients come to the Panera, don't come to my place, you know? (laughs) We've been a bread bowl. No. Yeah. No, not for you. Yeah. The broccoli cheddar slaps. So that was the reason that I tried to get it. And then what started to emerge is most of the people who worked in person were full-time employees or what we called regular members of the ready. And then they were called core members, Aaron. Core members. Yeah, sure. That that's even better. I don't remember, but yeah, that's, that sounds right. And then one of them to be clear. They were certainly full-time employees. And then and then on balance, it seemed like as we started to pick up what we called network members, yourself included, very shortly after we started. I mean, you were there like almost at the very beginning. But those folks were somewhere else. Yeah. And so it was like we had this remote contingent that was technically legally contractors, but functionally operated the same as any other member. And then we had these full-time employees that kind of came to the same spot. But as the client work picked up, it was a pretty quiet and lonely office, which is one of the reasons why I think we really have been living on Slack from day one, because it was like, that's where people were all together. If Mm -hmm. you went to the office on any given day, there might be three people there, which was out of 12 or something, which was just not, it didn't feel like a center of gravity. It just felt like a co-working space that a few of us used. Yeah. Um, Plus our work is so meeting heavy. I feel like even when I would be in New York and come sit with you guys, I was on calls all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it was, was like, like usually I hang out doing? with people for a drink after work, but it was hard to really hang out during the day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in some ways, like we can talk later about what we're doing now, but I've sort of inverted that completely with my mm-hmm. office solution today. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like there was a funny thing that so I was, you know, the job that I had before becoming a network member at the ready. Well, I did my own thing in between for a little bit, but was at McChrystal Group, which was like a very like office-y culture and like, you know, had and still have a great office. And I never lived locally, but I spent a lot of time in that office. I traveled back and forth a lot. And so it was really noticeable to me. The ready was the first company I'd ever worked with where a lot of people didn't appear ever physically (laughs) in the space. And I remember it feeling really weird that there were like parallel conversations happening Mm -hmm. in Slack and Mm -hmm. in in the office. In the same room sometimes. In the same room sometimes. Yeah. And I often felt like I would sort of like get a download from someone verbally about a conversation that happened in the office. But there was a version of that conversation that was also happening in Slack that was like slightly more formal and slightly less sort of unvarnished and like less spicy. And I always thought it was like a funny two culture system. Yeah. Yeah. It was a result of the time and place. And it was living in this in between yeah, where it, it wasn't fully committed to being a remote culture because we didn't really know what that was or we weren't ready to play that game. Yeah. And also it wasn't really an in-person culture because not enough people were there on any given day. So it was pretty bizarre. But I think some good patterns came of it. I think we got started really early with having at least some version of the truth in chat. And at the time, we didn't even have Notion. I don't think Notion really existed at, at that scale that we people would Trello. know about it and use it. Yeah, we had Trello, we had Google Docs, 
and we had Slack and we kind of kept a mirror image of what was happening wherever we all were in the world in those systems. Yeah. I want to talk about spicy things. Okay. I feel like I had conversations with you in the early-ish years, I don't know, the yeah. mid-years, I don't remember, the middle ages, yep. about why Slack was so quiet. Mm-hmm. I feel like Slack has had a real journey at the ready. Yes. And I feel like, you know, like everything, there's probably some technical term for this that I don't know, but it's like the way Slack was being used and probably other tools too, but Slack is just the most obvious because it's the most usually like busy and multiplayer felt like it really reflected the culture at the time. So like one example of that was like the sort of two parallel cultures, like the in-office crew, the core members, the network members, more of whom were remote, et cetera, sort of like two parallel conversations happening. And then there were other moments where like it would be really quiet or it would be really chatty. Like to the point that it would be like, is anyone doing client work? I mean, not really clients, everyone's working really hard. But you know what I mean? Like there were just these funny ebbs and flows. I wonder what you remember about all of that? Well, I think there's a few things there that probably played a role. One is that there are people that are like social activators in any system that are more chatty or more provocative or ask the questions or kick things off or share the content, whatever it is. There's like a power law. If you just stack everyone inside a network, you're like, oh, these are the folks that share cool TV shows to watch. These are the people that ask tough questions. And I felt like there was a weird in-person, out-of-person pattern there where like when the right people were in the office at the right time, like if you happened to be in New York and we were all in the office, Slack might be quieter. Mm. And then if somebody else was in, then it could be bubblier. So that was like the micro pattern. And then there was this macro pattern that actually tracked like psych safety over years. And I think this is true for all tools. Actually, I've decided now that I've been playing with a tool of my own. I think tools are a mirror of what's the kind of vibe right now in terms of psych safety. And each tool has its own way of expressing that state. Yeah. But for us with Slack, it was when we had gotten to a point where people felt that we as a culture were a little bit judgy or a little bit defensive or a little bit like dismissive, it just got quieter and quieter. And there was definitely yeah. a period where it was just like, I'm not putting myself out there because I'll just get, you know, either ignored or slapped and yeah. no thanks, you know, it's yeah. not for me. And then, you know, we did some things and changed some things and we like found our way back out of that. And now it's pretty loud, actually. Like I have a hard time not being Slack bankrupt yeah. in a given week. I love but, um, but that was like the macro pattern and the mini pattern was just like, who's in and who's out today mm. and who's busy with a client today? And mm-hmm. does that shape the tenor of the thing? So I don't know if you had a different take, but that was my experience. No, that very much maps to my experience. What is funny about it is that I think there were like two sort of groups of people who were having similar experiences, but from opposing poles. There were people who were like much earlier in their career who were on a really steep learning curve and were feeling a lot of insecurity. Mm -hmm, We didn't have mm -hmm. a lot of structures in place at the time for helping people learn how to do things. No, And so Slack was a very challenging place to put yourself out there if you weren't certain. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. that created weirdness where people would either like posture or argue or just hide, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of hiding. I remember the posturing and the arguing. Yeah, yeah now that you because say of it. like the judging. And then there were people like me and a couple of other people. And I remember you and I talking about this like many years ago, where it was like 
I was pretty far into my career and had been doing this kind of work for a long time. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get into a pissing contest with strangers on the internet. No, we're good. a company I don't work for. So Mm -hmm. I'm good. And I remember you being like, I would like to hear your voice in these conversations. And I was like, "Mm, I'm good. I don't think so, though. And so it was funny because it was like what that left over in the channel, you can imagine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It left the people who had a high degree of certainty and also a high degree of like internet trollery Mm -hmm. because everybody Mm -hmm. else had pieced out for their own reasons. Yeah, exactly. Which then just is a really weird vibe for your workspace. In hindsight, it's sort of interesting to me that it was able to turn into the skid. Mm. Um, Because I I do feel like we and you in particular and others like did some pretty specific things to try to move the culture in certain directions. But also, I don't remember a moment where we were like, let's fix Slack. No. And the way we show up there, it was no. much more of like an echo or a smell of what else was going on. And it just yeah. sort of, it fixed itself in a way. Yeah. Um, so that that was definitely interesting. I am curious, like, as you look back, because you have, what are we at, like seven years of perspective now, something like that. What are we doing now that we weren't doing in the early days when it comes to Slack and tooling in general? And what is like still present? How have you noticed the habits change? And what is varsity about us now, if Um, anything? I mean, I think a lot of things are. I'm like incredibly, I'm very delighted when I'm in Slack. (laughs) When I'm in the ready Slack instance, I'm always like, "Mm, hi, hi, everyone. Um, So I think that to me, the biggest thing that has changed, and this has a lot to do with psych safety and judgment, like the judgmental tenor that cropped up. Um, is people just are much more likely to share work. Yeah. So like there's less of a fear that someone is going to be like, I hate this font or like you're a fucking moron. And like every day people are posting things that they've made, articles that they've read, stories from clients that they want help on. It feels like quite a supportive environment, Mm -hmm. not even so much like interpersonally supportive, more like work supportive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like when I'm like, hey, y'all, can you help me with this? Or like, can you point me to this? Or do you have an example of this? Like, nine times out of 10, I get a bunch of help or a bunch of responses. And other people do too. And like, I know that, you know, we're all busy. But like, if I read something like that, there's a 50-50 chance that I'm going to post something or respond. Mm -hmm. And I think that just as a as a governing of the commons sort of thing, people see Slack as something that they benefit from. And so they should invest in it. And Mm. I'm one of those people, you know, there's definitely days where I'm like, I don't feel like going and digging up this mural board to post, but I do it anyway, because I know that that's how we have an information rich environment. So I think generally, we just are doing that a lot better than we used to. And then also, I think we're better actually at async communication than we used to be. So I feel like there was a time where it was like, well, we didn't get through triage. We'll just do it (laughs) next week. And now, particularly in source meetings, but also in growth meetings, someone is always like, I can do this async. Like I'll take this this off and I'll just do it. And it actually gets done async. That's cool. So those, I don't know, those are a couple of big ones I've noticed. What about you? That tracks. I mean, honestly, I'm curious about what, shifted to make that possible when we didn't have that happening and then now we do were there any learnings in there that somebody else could apply um it's a good question 
I mean, like the thing that I don't know if we want to say on record is like when you have internet trolls in your Slack channel right? who are spending a lot of their time monitoring and judging yeah. other people and everyone knows that it's not great. So yeah. maybe you don't have those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think there is a component of just who's present and yeah. and how they're setting the tone. And I would even I'd be culpable to say like I can be critical and I can be like analytical and about certain things in particular. And so there have been periods in our history where I was less present in Slack and maybe that helped. Yeah. To just not be like that. I mean, I think one thing that has helped a lot is I do think that I and other people, lots of other people (laughs) generally have taken the perspective of like, I see you. Yeah. Even if I don't agree with you, even Mm -hmm. if I don't actually think that this deck is brilliant, like (laughs) I am still going to like appreciate that you took the time to post it and explain what it was and share your work and share your thinking or ask for feedback or whatever. Like, even if there are people who have opinions about the end result or about whether that was actually an interesting article or whether that facilitation pattern is actually cool or not. I think there is a much higher degree of appreciation of the effort. Yeah. And I think in a tool like Slack, you have to have that. You can't just be anchored to the outcome of like, is this the dopest thing we've ever seen? You (laughs) have, because like you have to have law of large numbers to get to the dopest thing you've ever seen. And if nobody posts shit, you're never going to see anything dope. And so I think the fact that the tenor has changed from like only put in something that is sort of irrefutable. Right. That's like so defensible. So defensible to like more is better. And no one is going to like shit on your work publicly because you made the effort to actually post it. Yeah. I think that's probably a bigger change than anything else. I'm really glad you said that. Cause I guess my parting thought on this kind of pattern recognition is like, I think sometimes when we go remote or even hybrid, but especially remote and we have a tool, whether it be Slack or teams or discord or whatever it is, where it's kind of like, this is the comms bedrock. Mm-hmm. It can be easy to try to use it for everything. So mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to do mentorship here. I'm going to do critique here. I'm going to do like relationship building here. I'm going to do appreciation here. And what I like about what you're saying is like, there's probably a stack rank of like, which of those things to index on and which of the things not to do. Yeah. Because like, honestly, it's not a great place to have a philosophical disagreement. It's not. It's not a great place to mentor someone in public. It's not. It's, you know, and so maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. Yeah, yeah do exactly. The other I think that's I think that's right. So enough about us. I do think the reality is that these sorts of tools and layers of tools and habits that you take on as you use them is different in anatomy depending on the kind of company you are and whether you're fully remote or hybrid or in office and whether you're scaling slowly or scaling quickly. And so that's why I was really excited to get out of our world and into the world of someone else. And that's why having Kelsey from Bitly come on the show and talk a little bit about what it's like to use a digital HQ with a team much bigger than ours might actually be like. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everybody. We're going to talk about building a digital headquarters using Slack, how to evolve and champion that place to work. But before we get into that, we have a little habit on this show. And so I'm going to kick it over to Rodney. Never heard of it. Imagine it's like episode 160 something. And I'm like, what, 
what? Yep. Full stroke and no, <laughs> no idea what I'm no talking recovery. about. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to do a check-in round. Like we always do a check-in round, um, to get us present, to get us connected, to get to know Kelsey better. My question for today is what's a brand you're happy to be targeted by? Yeah, that's fun. You do get chased by brands when you start. And I think I'm always annoyed when I'm chased by a brand that I've already purchased. So I like to be chased by somebody with lots on offer. So if it's like a watch brand with lots of watches, but I would say my favorite option would probably be an electric razor brand like Norelco, because I am constantly lambasted by my wife for buying new electric razors whenever I enter a store, basically. Always thinking this is going to be the one. And it's never the one. So if Norelco's out there and you want to just feed me ads every day with the next greatest thing, I'm your guy. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really funny. You have an electric razor habit. It's a problem. <laughs> I have three right now that I use. That's too many. Yeah. <laughs> Kelsey, what about you? I'm going to say Rivian because mm. we don't have one. I do live in Boulder, Colorado, and I got targeted one time, just one time. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I cool enough for this? Right. Like, really, it really felt good. What I a compliment. It. Oh, that's really funny. This is not going to be my answer, but when I get targeted for like secret parties and stuff, which yeah. happens occasionally, I'm like, oh. Yep. <laughs> Makes me still <laughs> got young it. again. Yeah, still got it. Like, you want me to come to your party? It's <laughs> really past my bedtime, but thank you for making up me. Um, this is not really an answer to the question, but you know how when you say something in public, then Instagram serves you an ad, even though they say they don't do that? Because I've been really like a little bit too busy lately, like my life has been a little bit more jam packed than I like it to be both personally and professionally, which means that I can't remember things. And I've had the experience a few times lately where there was a product or a piece of content that I wanted to go back to and I couldn't remember. And then I just mentioned it to a friend with my phone near me. And then it came back up in my Instagram feed. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Glucose Tracker, since we were talking about this for pushing an ad to me because you were eavesdropping on my conversation. So even though it's a little <laughs> creepy and I don't always love being surveilled, as my memory gets worse, I appreciate brands that are like, I heard you. I heard you were looking for us. Here we are. <laughs> Amazing. I love all those answers. I guess we've given people what they need to know to chase us down and make money off of us. But before all those ads flow in, let's get on to today's topic, which is what one particular digital HQ looks like IRL. And so I guess we want to start by asking you, in what ways does Slack function as Bitly's digital HQ? Like, how does it figure into the day-to-day -day life at the company? We primarily adopted and use it as a tool for collaboration in the engineering, product, design, org specifically. We also use it for global announcements. So very similar in the way that it's intended to be used. <laughs> but as we've become like a more global organization and moved more to remote friendly, the tools definitely become a critical tool for social engagement, mm -hmm. relationship building, building empowered teams, which I know y'all talk about quite a bit. And even prior to the pandemic, we only had about 100 people who worked for the organization. But we had three offices across San Francisco, Denver, and New York. And each office had its own personality, its own culture, but our teams were distributed by nature. So we gravitated towards Slack as the tool that brought us 
together and operated as one company. And then as we went remote through the pandemic, it became even more critical. And then we went through an acquisition and we became a global company. We have 200 people and Slack has become the foundation for the way in which our teams interact and the culture at Bitly. We know that Bitly acquired a German company last year, which was pretty significant acquisition in size and strategy. In what ways did Slack, as kind of the place that you really show up and start and end the day, play a role in that? It's so funny because I don't think that we realize the critical role Slack played until we reflect back on it. And reflecting that, we have travel restrictions in place. We don't have a high level of comfort around all of our employees to gather in one place in 2021 (laughs) because we're still getting used to the new norm that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so we integrate two companies relatively the same size. We are building on the culture that existed previous to the acquisition, but recognize that it is going to shift a little bit. Sure. And then we look back and Slack was that critical tool that brought us all together and where we did introductions with people, got to know one another. Even as a leadership team, we didn't meet face to face until eight months after the acquisition. Seriously? That's wild. I'm curious what the rest of the tool stack looks like and how it fits in to your use of Slack? Because we certainly have a very particular stack over at the Ready and at Murmur, and Slack is at the center, but there are a lot of other things. What all is going on and how much of that is actually integrated and connected? We are using Jira on the engineering product and design side, as we refer to as EPD. We also use all of Google Suite. So most of our calls are on Google Hangouts and we are a video on organization. So that does help outside of Slack with that relationship building. It's a pretty straightforward, not very sophisticated tool set. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it works, it works. Really quickly on the fly, what else we have? And I'm like, well, those are the ones I log into often. (laughs) I am curious because you are a product leader yourself. What do you think that it is that makes a tool, whether it's Slack or something else, particularly exciting to use? And I guess exciting at the beginning and sticky in the long term. Like how do you go in a relatively short time from this isn't part of our lives to like, this is where we live. And what is the quality of any tool that gets you that? We're looking for efficient ways of working. We're looking for tools in which we can quickly distribute information to people on our teams, but then also have side conversations and have that water cooler talk, as some might say, where you have a channel that's dedicated to things that are less formal than a global announcement, for example. And that balance of having a tool where you're getting your basic needs with the additional social engagement and some of the fun interactions, it really almost becomes addictive. I always joke with my team, and I wish it was a joke, but I am slightly addicted to Slack. And when I go on vacation, I actually delete it from my phone because I'm so eager to check in and see what's going on, but also conditioned to do that. I'm curious what is weird about you guys. So everyone uses tools differently. And when I get a look inside someone else's Notion or Slack or Miro or whatever, it's always like, well, we have 
a few little quirks about how we do it. What are some of the quirks or some of the cultural norms, patterns, fun things that you would pick up on if you were a fly on the wall? Probably the use of our dog channel. So... (laughs) I kid you not, since I joined, that was actually one of the first channels I discovered and was like, yes, I want in on this. And it's a very active channel where people post photos or updates from their own dogs or even dogs that they see out and about. I would have called (laughs) the channel Bitly Barks, but... You know, oh my gosh, that's good. It's so much better than social dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's really good. I've noticed that pets channels crop up in most Slack instances, actually, in some way, shape, or form. That happened at the ready, and then people started posting their kids. I know. Which, you know, they're not really pets, are they? I mean, I don't have any, so I don't know. But <laughs> I, it felt like that should be in a different channel. Trust the line. <laughs> I, think, I think the channel was maybe archived shortly after that. It was like, mm, we've lost the plot <laughs> on what this is for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it then it all just became uh, hashtag random. Um, how big is Bitly now? We are just a little over 200 people. I think we are at 250 potentially now globally. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a chunk. And also that mm-hmm. is the size where everyone can't really know each other intimately anymore. So I'm curious as some just like inside baseball for people who might be trying to use Slack or use it more effectively. What are some of the agreements that you all have about like Slack hygiene or Slack etiquette or like how do you all roll because it sounds like it is effective for you and usually in companies where it is effective it's because they've figured some of that stuff out. What have you seen at Bailey that's worked? One is the way in which we organize the channels just at a very basic level. And I will say it's not just a one and done. We have to revisit this pretty often to ensure that there's so much content that's being shared in Slack. Oftentimes we need to streamline some of the more important messages that need attention. So allowing people to be fed information that's really important and then seek out additional information throughout channels. I think the organization and the naming convention, even though it's a little bit unsexy, is really important to making it more efficient. We also have to recognize that Slack brings a lot of good, but it can also be a place where we're interacting via messages and sometimes tone can be different. So we need to bring our values as an organization, making sure that we keep the dialogue respectful, but also assuming best intent. And if we're having a conversation that requires a face-to-face or could be easier to just call somebody, you know, recognize the limitations of a messaging platform and bring it face-to-face when needed. I'm kind of curious to pontificate about the future of the category a little bit with you both, because I feel like we're in this world right now where there's a very distinct set of tools, right? You have a chat tool, you might have a digital whiteboard tool, you have a document tool, you have maybe a wiki of some kind like Confluence or Notion. They're all pretty separate from each other. And sure, we have integrations, but now I'm starting to see them bleed into each other. So there are huddles in Slack where you can have a call or even a video call. They're the tool that Rodney and I are using right now to see each other around was bought by Miro. So now you can do it inside the whiteboard. When you look at the tool usage at Bitly, do you see competing or conflicting or converging 
tooling? And how do you imagine the tools might work down the road? Like in five years, do you think that it's an all-in-one? Do you think that they get more distinct? How are you talking about or thinking about that at Bitly? I think it's converging mostly. And as we look at even Slack's product strategy and their release of workflow tools and having low-code, no-code solutions to have more sophisticated integrations only enhances the one platform, one-stop shop for all of your collaboration. We do use Miro, and I was actually thinking about this a couple hours ago because we had an incredible global session, <laughs> mediation session as a product team. And I knew I was going to be doing this a little bit later in the day. And I was thinking like, wow, I wonder if there's a way in which Miro and Slack might come together at some mm. point. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have seen that convergence as well. And I am super curious about it. Yeah. I feel like the more tooling we're in, in a remote world, the more we want it to be in one place. <laughs> Oh or at least goodness. to feel like that. <laughs> or at least to feel like it. Yeah, at least to feel like I have one home, not like four homes. Totally. It was hard for me to answer the question about our tech stack because we have so many different tools. Uh. And when you start to list them, you realize, wow, and we have four that all do the same thing, but different groups use them. Yep. Yep. So the more that we can streamline it, I think the better. <laughs> I had a conversation with a very small client of ours the other day, and they said they're on 150 yes. SaaS tools, which like, I looked wow. up and is actually the average for enterprises now. So just a stunning amount of tooling and some of it specialized, but a lot of it, to your point, is just like, Team A likes this, Team B likes that. We deal with that at the ready. We just had a conversation, Rodney and I, in a thread in Slack, of course, about using the Kanban board in Trello versus the Kanban board in Notion. And could we pick one? And people are like, uh, don't take my cheese. Yes, very much so. Yeah. I would love to hear about an experiment you've done where Slack was at the center of that. Is there anything that you've tried to build your own team's culture and what were some of the takeaways or learnings from that? I love this question because this is actually something where I had a big learning experience and it really shaped how I am as a leader. I actually joined Bitly four years ago as a director of product. So when I took over as a leader, it was actually a relatively fragmented team. And our engagement survey showed that the product team specifically had one of the lowest social engagement numbers mm. across the entire organization. People didn't feel like they had a team in which they could rely on. So I strategically used Slack to get a little bit vulnerable. I tried a lot of embarrassing prompts. I did a lot <laughs> of things, as you all do. And I noticed that people really started leaning in. They started building relationships outside of our project work and really getting to know one another. They would be silly things like post a picture of this or, oh my gosh, I just had a really embarrassing moment. I failed at this demo. It was awful. Reply in the thread if you've ever had an embarrassing moment or uh -huh. a failure at work. And I am so pleased because... I had a feeling it was working, but you never know. And we just ran our last engagement survey and the product team actually had the highest score when it came to social engagement. Nice. So taking a step to reflect, I felt, wow, Slack was really critical in allowing for the space for that to happen. 
That's awesome. And while we're on the topic of running experiments, <laughs> what are the next experiments that either you want to run in your org or you'd like to see Bitly run as a whole company? Okay, so I saw Twilio in 2022 ran, I think they did one or two full weeks without any meetings. Mm-hmm. And someone on my team asked if we could potentially do that at Bitly, which as a global company, remote first, we are stacked with meetings, as I'm sure everyone can sure. imagine. Yep. And I'm so curious if we ran that as an experiment and then relied on Slack as that collaboration tool to allow us to maintain alignment, but also reduce our meetings. That's cool. Highly recommend. You should definitely do it. Radical experiment. See what happens. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're always preaching. Well, Radical Experiments seems like a pretty good place to draw things to a close. So Kelsey, where can our listeners find out more about you and Bitly and your work? I guess the best place is on LinkedIn. I'm there. I don't have a whole lot of other social channels, but visit us at Bitly. Sign up for Bitly. We've expanded and we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. A quick tip of the hat, as always, to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.